The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Previously on the Pure Hoops podcast... Who captures Game Three to take the two to one edge? In well, the I, I I like the Raptors coming into Game Three. I, I really, really? I, I I like the Raptors. Um, you know, I I thought this look an experienced team. I thought would have probably handled that second quarter a little different, but I think they will learn. You know, this is a learning opportunity for the Raptors, um, and I I I really think that this team the Raptors will will prevail because they just have the youth on their side now, that was from our prior show before game three of the finals BJ Armstrong nailing the prediction Raptors lead this series two games to one pure hoops podcast BJ Armstrong yours truly Eric Newman digging into all the NBA finals drama as the warrior dynasty now in jeopardy whether it's the Raptors performance the injury bugs and bad luck all playing into it Lots to dig into here. Hard to believe Kawhi Leonard could leave Toronto if they win it all, but we just don't know what he's going to do. So many storylines to get to. Darlene, you ready? The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. BJ Quite a game three, obviously without Clay, the Raptors had to get it, and they went out and did exactly that. What did you make of the Toronto performance? Well, in many regards, you know Toronto, you know they they've been a self-correcting team all year because they they are defensive first, second, and, and third team. I mean, meaning that they really take pride in what they do on the on the defensive end. When you see them make shots like you did last night, they're a very very tough ball club because that puts pressure on you to perform at a much higher level. So the one thing that they've done, I think, very consistently throughout the playoffs, and in particular in this series, is defend the three-point line. You know, Steph Curry had a great offensive game, but he still only made, like, for him, only six threes. Um, Oh. Which, to me, is that Is is that Curry calling you right now on the bat phone? Yeah, that's Curry Curry calling right now. So – uh, but to me, that's still very significant um, because they're, they're able to run them off the line and not allow them to overwhelm you with three-point shooting, you know, by making 12 to 15 threes. And that puts a lot of pressure on you to do the same. So give them credit. I think they have a game plan. I, I think they're executing it because defensively they're locked in and they're locked in individually and they're locked in as a group. Yeah, Curry, as you mentioned, I mean, an incredible 47-point performance, but really, really had to work. And, and you know, 13 of 14 at the line, 6 of 14 from downtown, shoots 45% from the floor for the night. But it was for a while in that game until the game opened up a bit. I mean, it was like pulling teeth on some of these possessions for the Warriors to create any offense outside of Steph. Obviously, DeMarcus Cousins did not have the game that uh, he expected himself to in 19 minutes, really struggled. 
and Draymond Green, uh, while decent numbers, did not have the same impact on the game that we've seen uh, in games uh, one and two to start this series. So, BJ, you know, they want to bring Clay back. We're still waiting on Durant. What did you see from Golden State that uh, could be a positive sign in terms of an adjustment against the Toronto defense? And then obviously we'll go, we'll go heavy on the Raptors after that. Well, you, you know, uh, again, I've said the, the, the key element for the Toronto Raptors uh, is they have to make shots. Can they score enough points? This team, unlike any team that I've seen over the last four or five years, whatever the run has been for the Warriors, this is the first team that, whether they're healthy or not, that I feel can defend them in the half court. And to me, that's the key to the series. Right. And and let me jump in real quick. So you're saying Toronto's offensive shot making and efficiency last night obviously contributed to them being able to set up their half court defense and really hone in on Steph because obviously they're down two major weapons with uh, Clay and Durant out. Well, you, well, if you can get it, listen. Here, here's the mindset of a championship caliber team, right? We're talking about championship-level basketball. We're not talking regular season basketball. We're talking championship levels, right? There's levels to this, right? There's the summer league. There's the preseason. There's the regular season. There's playoff basketball. Then, there, you know, there's Eastern Conference level. And then there's championship-caliber basketball, right? And we're talking at the highest level. Championship-caliber basketball entails the following. If I don't score, Eric, and you don't score, the score is still 0-0. That's the score of the game. This team, the Toronto Raptors, right, they are committed. They are a committed group to the defensive end of the court. And because they know and they have the confidence walking into the arena, we can stop this team. That's, that's, they know when you come in knowing that you established that part of the game, right, half of the game is covered before you walk in the building. That puts an incredible amount of pressure on the other team to have to score. And that puts an incredible amount of pressure to, the, to them to score efficiently. Now, what the Warriors do better than anyone is not only do they score, but they are a very efficient team, right? They're not a high-volume team like the, the, the Houston Rockets. The Houston Rockets just get up so much volume yep. that they, you know, they just – you know, they're just trying to get shots up. And they figure, well, you know what, we'll have a run where we could possibly go on a 20-2 to two run, and that'll overwhelm you. This team, the Raptors, when they make shots like they're doing last night, they're even better because now you're playing five, five against five. And as long as they cut down on their turnovers and cut down on, you know, just mistakes, you know, throwing the ball out of bounds or taking bad shots. If they have the discipline and take good shots, they will have an excellent opportunity to win every game, especially when they're shooting the way they sh- way they shot last night. They're a tough group yeah. to beat. I mean, Kyle Lowry, arguably his best game of the postseason, 23 points, nine assists last night. They shoot 52 from the floor, 44 from three, a blistering 20 of 21 at the free throw line. I know the box score tells us certain things. But it shows last night that Toronto got contributions from all over the place. And defensively, Serge Ibaka returned to that all-NBA-level defender form that we saw a lot of him in the past. He blocked six shots last night. So 
they're getting it from from everywhere. Now, important question for you regarding Clay Thompson, and I know how much of an emphasis you put on defense creating offense. Clay obviously elited both ends. Where did the Warriors miss Clay more last night, defensively or oh. offensively? On the, on the defensive end, in the NBA period, there is a shortage of wing defenders. Okay, the the best players in the game for the most part on are on the mm-hmm. wing, right? There, the Paul Georges, the LeBron James, the Kawhi Leonard's, you know, the Oladipo's. There are there are a shortage of players who can defend those type of players. Okay, Clay Thompson happens to be one of those players, and he also happens to be a really good defensive player. So when you had when you're down a hobbled Iguodala, when you're down no Clay Thompson, and Kawhi Leonard is playing the game at the highest level right now. Okay, Kawhi Leonard is playing the game at such a high level. Like he gets thirty points, and we're like, ah, oh, he played yep. okay. He's doing this against the Warriors consistently. Seventeen shots. Okay, this guy is getting to the free throw line, drawing double teams from the Warriors. He's drawing double teams from the Warriors, okay? And as I recalled, I was, I was speaking to a coach last night. I was like, did they even – did they double-team LeBron? I can't recall. Did they double-team LeBron? They, they're double-teaming Kawhi Leonard. And the Warriors, that's been their kind of ace in the hole, if you will. They've never had to compromise their defense over the last four to five years yep. in this whole playoff run because, you know, if some guy gets hot – they put Andre Iguodala on them, or they put Clay on them, or they put Draymond on them, and they switch everything. Mm-hmm. So they never have to compromise their defense and get into like a full rotation. This is the first time I've seen Steve Kerr and his staff, Ron Adams, who's an excellent defensive coach over there, okay, that they are actually so committed to stopping Kawhi Leonard that they're giving up other aspects. I mean, there wasn't it wasn't an accident that Kyle Lowry was open last night. They are that committed to him because this guy, Kawhi Leonard, is he's devastating. Not because he puts up big numbers, it's because he just creates and he does the right thing very consistently. He doesn't do it all the time, but nine times out of ten, he's going to do the right thing, whether he passes the ball, shoots the ball, breaks down the defense, or whatever he does. And he's so strong that he's a he's he's just he's a true problem as a opposing. If you look at him from the, from from the Warriors' perspective or any team that's playing against him, he's just a major major problem uh, as a player in this league right yeah, now. Yeah, and five other guys around him get double figures. I, I think we saw some history last night too. We'll have to go back and fact check this, but um, every player on the Raptors last night who attempted a field goal shot fifty percent or greater, which of course led to their fifty-two and a half percent clip. But usually, there's at least one or two outliers. So everybody was efficient, and that, of course, starts with Kawhi. And uh, Bruce Bernstein adding a a really good note here. You know, people were wondering during the season about the Kawhi load management. You know, he sat out 22 regular season games, and clearly that is benefiting him right now. And what's crazy about that, too, is that team was 17-5, and and granted it's the regular season, but they were 17-5 and in the games without Leonard. So what does that say about those guys and, and their makeup? I, I think we've, not you and I specifically, but I think there was so much hype around the Bucks and the 
talent of the Sixers and can the Celtics get it together, I think people forgot to take notice of the makeup of this Raptors team during the stretch run of the season and earlier on in the playoffs. But obviously people are paying attention right now because some of these performances they're getting are are just outstanding from the quote-unquote the others aside from Leonard. Well, you have to start at the top and and give Masai, you know, the general manager of the of the Raptors, a lot of credit, right? He is he has been very consistent in his career as an executive to be able to identify talent, and he loves athletic, long athletic players, right? That's kind of his thing, right? He's always had very athletic teams, yep. um, and and. This team is no exception. When you look at these guys like Siakam and you, you, you look at Marcus Gasol and you look at Serge Ibaka and, you know, he had Bismack Biombo and he had, he's always had these athletic, athletic yeah, teams. Yeah, he's, he's, he's got uh, the athletes, but, but I just want to jump in there. He also balances out with balances it out. Like, yeah, Gasol is long, but obviously he's, he's, right. uh, he's a big man who can play inside and mm-hmm. outside. But then he's got these – Bulldog guards and Kyle Lowry and, and Van Fleet obviously is showing some great potential here. Norman Powell has had his moments in the playoffs. You know, but when we right. think long, athletic, you know, two-way players, like Danny Green is a, a proven veteran commodity as a 3 and D guy, but we're not putting him in that Siakam category. I, I just find this mix very interesting well, we- and, of course, very effective at the same time. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, and, and, and it's two parts of this, right? So the, the first thing is you have to identify the talent. And he does an excellent job of that, and he prefers length. And the reason he prefers length to anyone that's listening to executives or want to be executives, length is the only thing that doesn't deteriorate with age, which is a key element to having a really good team. So when you have length, as you get older and you lose a step or two, you're still seven feet tall. Like Kevin Durant will age gracefully because he's no matter what, when he loses a step or two, he's going to be seven feet. And as you watch guys who play with length like Scottie Pippen and these guys, Andre Iguodala is aging beautifully because of his length. The guys who who don't age gracefully in this league are the guys who are dependent on their skill, I mean on their speed and quickness. They lose a step or two and you go, oh, what happened? Yep. What, what happened to the game? So Masai has done an excellent job of saying this is the type of talent. There's a lot of talented players, but he likes length at his position. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing he identifies with the Danny Greens and these guys, the Van Fleets, the Kyle Lowry's, is toughness. Kyle Lowry is a tough kid. Van Fleet is a tough kid. You know, Danny Green, you know, he's been very, very consistent over the years. People don't say he's – but you know what? He shows up every single time. And that's toughness, yep. right? He shows up to work every single and he's time. Been, and he's, and been he's been ice very cold consistent. and kept staying at it, staying yeah. at it, and then but, finally it, it happened you, for him in game three. Absolutely. And, and, and as an ex-shooter myself, even though if I don't make the shot, I have to shoot the right shot. That's my responsibility. If I'm open, I have to yep. shoot it. Where you don't carry your responsibility as a player on a team is when you start turning down the shots because you've missed a, a shot or two. If you're open, Eric, in the the corner, you have to shoot the shot because if you miss the right shot, I have a chance to get the offensive rebound, which is part of the team aspect of playing good sound offense. So 
Danny Green is a fundamentally sound player, even though he hasn't been making the shots. The thing is, I look at him, I go, he's been shooting all of the right yep. shots. And that's that's important. So talent and toughness are the two elements that you always will see with a Maasai team. And Maasai has done a great job. And I think this team has embodied that because they have superior talent and a very talented player, obviously, in Kawhi. And they're a very tough group. They're going to grind it out. And uh, that's what you see with the Warriors. The Warriors are really a, a, a grinded out team. And they're, they're, they don't get enough credit for being a very tough-minded group. But you can see this team is a very tough team as well. And that's why they've had the success over the last four or five years. This team right now is – when I say this team, the Raptors are locked in for 48 minutes right now. And it doesn't really matter who's playing. They just see they just see a Warriors on the front, and that's all they're concerned yeah, they about. They can taste it. Um, they believe in themselves. Obviously, there's no longer a question of you know whether they believe. We we know they believe. It's whether or not they can win two more before the Warriors win three. So, one thing that I was calling out last night, I, w- I was out with a few old friends who, like us, love watching the game and had a couple of beverages. Probably had a one. <laughs> one of my guys was slightly overserved. I was good, but. Um, I wanted more Draymond Green pick and roll with Steph to get Draymond in the action more, to make the defense make a choice whether Draymond needs to be a facilitator in the middle of the floor after setting the screen or whether he needs to be a scorer, which I think he needs to start doing now. Do you see that the same way of just, okay, the Raptors are scoring, the attention is on Steph, how do we create some easy action here where we can get Draymond in some four-on-three situations and make life easier for his teammates, whether they're cutting and getting that baseline finish or whether he's kicking for open shots? I just felt like there could have been more of that last night to get him going because, again, you talk about spurts. Draymond last night was, okay, we'd have a good spurt, and then he'd be gone for quite a few possessions, then he'd be back. Are you seeing that similar to me? Well, the, the Raptors, I think, have given the, the, the proper attention to a player like Draymond by having him being guarded by Kawhi Leonard. They, they are fully aware of what you know, Steve Kerr has devised with a player like Draymond. Draymond is basically the point guard for the Warriors as, the, as, the, as a center. Um, he distributes the ball to the, to the other scorers now. It's always they've always had a player who could play over the top. This is play over the top of the defense for Draymond, uh, whether that was JaVale McGee, uh, Bogut in years past. Uh, what was the, the the other kid? I can't think of his name right now. Zili, um, Festus Zili, and those players. Um, so you need, to, and that is the verticality of the game that you're seeing now. That many teams are starting to say, you know, we need a player who can play over the top of the defense. Now, the Warriors are so unique because they have not one, not two, but they have three other scores that Draymond giving him the ball in the middle of the court with a live dribble. Now he just picks you apart, right? He throws it to Clay one time. He throws it to Steph another. He throws it to Durant. And then if all else fails, he can throw it over the top to JaVale McGee and all of these guys. And now it was just it was just unfair. Once you, you've taken away those other two guys – and no one's not going to give the attention to Steph Curry. Now you're looking at Draymond as a primary scorer, and that's not what he yeah. does. So I think the Steve Kerr knows this, and I think it was indicative now when you ask 
players to go into other roles, now to be a secondary scorer, now to do things that they're not accustomed to doing. That's not what he does. You know, Draymond is a guy who he makes the right basketball plays. He does all of the things. But to make him a primary scorer and say, hey, go get me 25 consistently, I don't think that's what he does. Copy that. So one more thing that we have to touch upon here, um, an incident courtside, Kyle Lowry going into the stands. And uh, until just, you know, today's Thursday, as we record this, until, you know, about an hour ago, we didn't know who that fan was. And then it's released. It's a co-owner of the Warriors who pushed Kyle Lowry, had some nasty things to say, and um, that gentleman will no longer be allowed to be in attendance. Uh, First and foremost, what was your reaction to seeing what happened to Lowry, but also now hearing that uh, the the person who caused this is a a co-owner of the team? Well, whether he's a co-owner or not, it's just a very unfortunate situation. And... Look, I made many years a choice to to live part of my professional life in the in the public's eye, and under no circumstances, well, is that acceptable behavior on any levels? But I will say this about Kyle Lowry: I give him all the credit and the awareness not to react because that was a very with the wrong player there. And I go back to the to the fiasco that happened in my hometown in Detroit, right? Sometime you react and you just react without thinking. Kyle Lowry had the awareness not to react. So I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for Kyle Lowry that he was so professional about it and the way he handled it with, like, class. Unbelievable. Because that was a – it was just – when you saw it, you were like – what, 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 what's going on here? Like, there, there's millions of kids. There's people who play sports. It was just a, a great hustle play. You, you're seeing two teams going out there, playing their hearts out. And then all of a sudden, like, what part of the game was that? And I, I, I just, it was just so unacceptable that I've just chosen to, like, move on. You know what I mean? Like, it's like my, my dad used to say, just keep it moving. Yep. Uh, that, that's just there's nothing we could say to justify I, I, what happened, how it happened. But Kyle Lowry was a, an example of what should be done, how he handled the situation, and and I, I'm glad that the NBA is standing behind that type of behavior because that had the potential to really escalate and be something that. I, I don't know what have been ha- what a what a what 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 could you have done to Kyle Lowry if he would have reacted? Because right, self defense. It was self defense. I mean, this guy. Right. I mean, this and, guy for like no right. reason. And, and, for and no reason. And here's right? my thing, right? Like Lowry, amazing way to move past it and not sink to that level. But at some point, I may be wrong, but like. A deterrent needs to be put in place. And that deterrent just might be you put your hands on the wrong guy, you're going to pay for it aside from not being banned from the arena. So, you know. Yeah, it was just like it was just like it was it was like one of those like 
one of those what moments like like what, what what's going on yeah. here like you know you just like you, you know did something happen we didn't see or and then you looked at the replay and it was just i mean it was just a good hustle effort play right yep. <laughs> it was just it wasn't anything other than and uh to see that so I, i'm just really happy for kyle Lowry. i'm happy for the example he set for my kids who were watching the game and for showing them you know to be the bigger person and uh so you know what let's give it up here for kyle Lowry and what he stands for and the professionalism in which he handled that situation because it could have been a different outcome um and you know you you don't you don't want to see what we've all seen in the past yep. and uh, Kyle Lowry I thought handled the situation beautifully and you know let's move on to game absolutely four. so game four obviously huge health question marks Clay Thompson sounds like he's going to give it a go with the tweaked hamstring we we've got to go with what we know so BJ putting it to you first who wins game four NBA finals um I, I'm just going to stick with the Raptors um I think youth will be served they have the activity level, and they just have the bodies. And, uh, you know, and, and like I said, like I've said all along, I, I love the Warriors. I love what they are. But, you know, when you find that opponent who has the, the, the age and youth on their side, and they found a way, and I say they, the Raptors have found a way to stabilize the game with their defensive effort. And uh, I just think it's going to be tough to overcome because they're – the Raptors are finding a way to get out and get fast breaks and Serge Ibaka contributes and all of these people are contributing athletically and the Warriors are down bodies. And yes, they have the experience. Yes, they have the talent. But right now that talent is depleted because of injuries. And I think that's that's going to be very tough to overcome. I'm sticking with the champs. They will even this series at two apiece. My fingers are crossed for health. And I think they will figure out how to make adjustments in what is uh, a very fun chess match now between the two teams. That was dope. The Pure Hoops podcast comes your way each Friday with me, Eric Newman, and BJ Armstrong. Pure Hoops Media also features three other weekly shows. On Monday, it's the Mike Wise Show with master storyteller Mike Wise. This week, Mike has Jeff Van Gundy on the show, and next week it's Bucks co-owner Mark Lazary. Go back and listen to Mike and Jeff, especially if you're a Knicks fan. It was terrific. Each Wednesday, Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko drop in with Couch and Shoot, where these hoop fanatics mix opinions, analysis, and humor with some amazing guests. This week, they had Spurs legend Sean Elliott, whose stories about Tim Duncan and Pop are hilarious. And our newest show is Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt, which comes your way each Thursday. Monica's guest this week is NFL Network and CBS Sports host Nate Burleson. Not only was Nate an NFL star, before that he was a legit Seattle baller. Nate describes guarding Jay Crossover back in the 206 in great detail. You have to hear this show. Please check all of them out. Rate them, review, download, listen, and most importantly, enjoy. Previously on Back in the 90s. So BJ, 1993, yourself and your Bulls teammates, you are back-to-back champs after beating the Lakers in 91, the Blazers in 92, and playing that very exciting Phoenix Suns team led by the one and only Charles Barkley in 1993. What was the mindset like? You know, you defeat the Knicks in that great conference finals series in the East. You move on to the NBA Finals. Uh, Phoenix gets there in in a seven-game victory over Seattle. Barkley at the height of his power. What was the mindset trying to win that three-peat against that Phoenix team? 
Well, the, uh, playing against the Suns that year, I, I, I vividly remember Charles Barkley had a phenomenal year. If I recall correctly, he was the MVP uh, of that season. And that was the first mistake for the, for the Suns because, you know, that was all the motivation that our best player needed coming into the finals. Um, that was, you know, and Michael. The second thing that stood out to me was the format of which the games were played back then, which was 2-3-2, two, yep. two, right? So you had, you know, two games at home because they had a better record that year. Uh, so we started off on the road, and then we had three games at home, and then you had, you know, and you went back two. So um, the, the way we approached that game was it's pretty hard to beat a team of the, with that level of talent three games in a row. So the importance that we put on to win one game, possibly two, um, was, I mean, we, I mean, we went into game one because of the way the format, we went into game one, it was a must game for us. It was just a must game. We, we had to get one of those games because it's very rare that you can beat a team three, t- three times at home yeah. or three times and you row. And you so, went and got both of them. Yeah, so – and then I think we came back and lost two at yep. home, um, if I if I remember. Uh, so it's just the way the games and the the emphasis on the games were played back then were a little different. So I, that's what I remember uh, about it. Um, we just looked at it as one big game, right? Even though you you had to win four games, we looked at it as one big game where we had to be standing and give ourselves a chance. So um, our guys were you know were ready to play. Um, Yes, we were tired, but I just remember the challenge because Charles Barkley was playing the game at a very high level, but everyone took their challenge. You know, uh, myself had to guard Kevin Johnson, who was a perennial all-star. You know, you had Dan Marley. You had, you know, uh, Cedric Sabalas, Charles Barkley. You know, so Horace Grant, Scottie Pippen, Bill Cartwright, everyone took their challenge, and somehow, way, we were able to win it. But those were the two things that stood out. Um going for that three-peat is like we found a new challenge to get ourselves ready to play and um, somehow we were able to win that series you know I wanted to ask you quickly about Kevin Johnson because I feel like if he played today his level wow. and those numbers would be even more impressive than they were back then yeah, can you paint yeah, a picture yeah, just yeah. how good and how tough of a player Kevin Johnson was well yeah I mean you know they you know it's always you know, I think the marketing of the NBA has been incredible, um, but you know they say it's a it's a predominantly guard it's a it's a it's a it's a predominantly you know point guard league you know over the last few years with Steph Curry and Kyrie yep. Irving and Damian Lillard, but you know the Isaiah Thomases, the Kevin Johnsons, Mark Price, <laughs> those guys weren't bad, right? The Tim Hardaways, yep, and know, all those all guys smaller were, point guards yeah, playing in I mean, a quote unquote. Yeah. Bigger man era and doing serious yeah, yeah. work. John Stockton, Magic Johnson, you know Terry Porter, Rod Strickland, Mark Jackson. I mean, it was just Maurice Cheeks. So you know we had our fair share of, of guards too that could really uh, do their thing. Um, but Kevin Johnson was one of those guards who was like he was wild. He was he was very athletic. Um, he could score. You know he was strong. He had the ability to finish left hand, right hand, and he could finish over the top. And I think today's game, you know, that's when we could play and we could hand check. So this guy was getting 20-something points a game with hand yeah. checking. 
I can't imagine what he would be like playing with and you couldn't you couldn't touch him. Uh, he was a terrific player. Um, and you know what? He was, without questioning, he was on par of always in the upper echelon of the league at that time for what he could do and their style of play with with uh, Coach uh, Cotton Fitzsimmons, if I was correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Paul uh, West, well, West, Westfall. Yeah, Westfall, Westfall was that coach of that and team. Paul Westfall yep. was the coach then. So um, he was a he was a tough opponent for sure, one that could really – he could – he could score in bunches, and he could score in a hurry. People forget that KJ started with the Cavaliers, and he was uh, yeah. traded to the Suns. He played behind KJ, yeah. Traded to the Suns yeah. for Larry Nance. Um, yeah, he played behind. If I remember, he played behind Mark Price, yes, right? Did he? Yes, play, he yeah, he played behind. Yeah, year uh, in eighty eight, yeah. eighty nine, and he was then traded, and you know that trade, you know, rarely. Does a trade work out really well for both teams? Um, that one did, as Larry Nance was a, a, a terrific ingredient to the Cavs' front court, making multiple playoff appearances and getting to the conference finals. And, of course, KJ uh, playing in the NBA finals with, with the Suns. Um, you know, th- there's some great finals memories from from your crew. Obviously, 93 there's a few things people remember aside from the, the Jordan Barkley matchup, and that, of course, is the John Paxson shot to seal it, uh, which was a, a scramble situation and a couple of great passes. Correct me if I'm wrong. You were not. Were you on the court for that, or were you on the sideline for that play? Yes, no, I was. Uh, I was on the court. You were on for the that. court. So can you can you take me quickly through? your remembrance of that play as we wrap up here because I remember seeing that unfold in slow motion so it must have been you Horace Scotty Michael and Paxson on the floor was that the lineup yeah 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 so um I I, I remember you know when we had situations like that is we had the in the I remember in the huddle Phil just said look I trust all of you guys on the floor I trust all of you guys can make the final shot but it's up for you guys to trust one another to find the open guy wherever he's going to be, right? Clearly, we know our first and second option is going to let 23 shoot the ball. But we also were aware that the other team was aware of that, <laughs> okay? No, uh, no so the one thing, if you look at the, yeah, if you, if you look at the film, all five of us touched the ball before it got to John Paxson. So we were just basically playing you know Phil gave us the freedom to figure it out as we we're going along and that's when you have a good team you know it's 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 a selfless game and when you're playing championship caliber basketball you don't care who shoots the last shot we you know, like obviously we know we knew who our best player was we wanted him to shoot the shot but he wanted to shoot the shot but if it wasn't he had the you know the 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 confidence in the rest of us to make the shot as well. And at that time, John Paxson was the guy who was open, and John was as good a shoot, shooter as any, especially an open shot. And uh, luckily for us, he he knocked it down. But it was just the, the the confidence that we had in each other to come out and play, and we didn't need a play called. We didn't need someone to say what was going to happen. We just had the confidence in each other to like say, you know what, wherever the ball is going to get to, somehow we're going to figure out how to get it there. Great moment, great series, uh, very memorable. The 1993 NBA Finals as the Bulls captured uh, the first of their two repeats. 
We'll see if the Warriors can uh, even up this series at two apiece in Game 4 of the NBA Finals to keep their three-peat hopes alive. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. BJ and the Bulls found a way to overcome the Chuckster, but will Golden State be able to overcome the Claw? BJ and I will check in regularly with new episodes of the show as the finals march on, thanks to the best producer on the fucking planet, Bruce Bernstein, and also to Ben Wolfen, who makes us all sound good in the edit room. The Pew's Pod is in the books. Don't sleep on our other shows, Mike Wise on Monday, Noah and Adam with Catch and Shoot on Wednesday, and Monica with Buckets, Boards, and Blocks on Thursday. We're back next week. Download all of the Pure Hoops Media shows and be a smarter fan. Peace out. Have a great weekend, everybody. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.